Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May podcast, recording live here on a frosty, what would you call it, awesome word, a frosty Monday morning in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, a crisp, how would you describe it? A crisp, beautiful day. Just reminds me of being back at home and, and Casper and Laramie just. Bring on all that snow. Let's get it. Let's let's go make some snowmen. Let's go sledding, have some hot chocolate. This is the one that we've been waiting for. Yeah, I've always wondered what it would be like to live in Oslo, and now I know, Oslo, Norway. So for the next several days, we're like, you know, throw six or seven more logs on the fire and get after it. Uh, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, the Super Bowl is done. College football recruiting signing day is done. It looks like crazy season in the coaching realm is done maybe at least for Ohio State agreed awesome well Tennessee is always the one that's going to drive that conversation uh <laughs> for everybody else and the craziness also happens to be centered there most of the time so I think now we're finally done looks like after all Washington said no that they went they wound up with the, they actually offered it to several other people after Al Washington and finally got one from another Big Ten school on Monday so I think that now we can finally move on yeah, I was going to say, we're going to talk about that in our sec- in our segment after my special guest, Albert Breer, of the Monday Morning Quarterback fame, uh, SI.com. I mean, uh, I've been wanting to have him on my show for a while. I've been trying to figure out how to do it, and and he finally agreed to do it. And most people who know, Al- know of Albert Breer know of two things. He is quite the meticulous, great reporter. And number two, he's, a, he's an Ohio State fan. <laughs> he went to Ohio State. Uh, he worked at the Lantern and while he was uh, – 
at Ohio State, as he said, he even got to know the great Tim May during that time. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it's really interesting to talk to these young guys who come along and become just, I mean, just step up and become big time successes in our business, man. And, you know, and he and I talked even a little bit about how the business has changed uh, since even he got into it as a, a Cub Lantern reporter and, you know, how some newspapers rode with it, but most of them didn't etc. And uh, we just had a great conversation, including about Urban Meyer, uh, what kind of head coach he'll be in the NFL, uh, where does Justin Fields fit, etc. But, uh, you know, you've interacted with Albert a couple times, I think, and uh, quite the interesting character, right? Sharp guy. I just, I wonder, like, you're, you're always so uh, generous. Um, I'm, I'm on your show to pat you on the back. Like, I can't think that there's ever been a Lantern reporter who hasn't, like, had time with you and got to pick your brain about your career. Like how many, how many of them are there out there? They're like, man, I remember all that time with Tim May and the tips that he gave me and stories that he told about Buster Douglas and Mike Tyson. I mean, that's, there's gotta be such a long list of guys that, and, and girls that have gone to you. And I, I always thought that was really cool. How like holding court back when we actually got to be in the Woody before press conferences and, uh, you'd get to be your celebrity and then go off to the side with the lantern and give your tips. You know, what's funny though, is they bring up conversations. I basically don't ever remember. I mean, but that <laughs> happens with me and my wife a lot too, but, uh, but the bottom line, yeah, it, it is interesting, you know, because you can, there's all kinds of impacts you can have in life. You know, I'm sure I've pissed off some people along the way, you know, and uh, uh, who knows, but I mean, I've always tried to be a nice guy to almost everybody because you never know, you know, uh, uh, you never know what's going to come around and, and help you down the road. But also, you know, every, everybody needs a little bit of guidance every now and then in this, in this profession, especially. Yeah. But as, as Albert and I even talked about, you know, you never give up your sources to anybody. You know? <laughs> I mean, you tell them, though, you give them some pointers on maybe how to develop them and things like that. But you and I both know, man, you know, sources are what the sources are the uh, wellspring of our business. Well, that's the other part. You said it. I mean, be nice to people. Like, yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's a pretty easy. You should do that in everything, but uh, especially in this, if you want to want to have any kind of career, this is a people industry. And that, I know there are lots that can say that, but, you know, it's not like the sources, like you get really good at, you know, cutting down a tree or, uh, you know, yeah. being a farmer, like so, in, in, inanimate objects, like sources are human beings. So if you're going to be, uh, uh, if you have the choice to be a nice person, or a mean person, yeah. who do you like to deal with? That's a pretty easy way to go. And it is a choice, ladies and gentlemen. It is a choice. You're not born. I was going almost said a bad word there. You're not born a meanie. There we go. I'll leave it at meanie. But you know what? Uh, uh, before we get to that, uh, I want to uh, alert people that you and I are going to come back, and we're going to talk about uh, the addition of Paul Rhodes, for example, yeah. to, the, to, the, to the meeting rooms at, 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 at Ohio State. Uh, Brian Day taking that plunge and bringing in uh, you know, an, an analyst that uh, can maybe point out things, et cetera. You and I are going to discuss how maybe that uh, relationship, that chemistry is going to work, you know, and, and we'll talk about, you know, a few other things in the coaching carousel as they pertain to Ohio State. Uh, but that'll come after, after first this interview I had with Albert Breer, one of my favorite people. And as promised, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back with the Monday morning quarterback, Albert Breer. Albert, welcome to the Tim May podcast. Finally, man, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. You didn't know that, but uh, I wanted to give you a break a little bit during the season. 
Uh, I know you work your rear end off, as anybody reads the uh, Monday morning quarterback knows, uh, and throughout the week. But uh, welcome to the Tim May Podcast. I can't tell you what a huge honor it is to be on with uh, with the dean of the Ohio State beat, Tim. Um, for anybody yeah, out there that doesn't know, go ahead, man. Yeah, when I was when I was when I was trying to make it, and I was a kid uh, writing for the Lantern at uh, you know back in ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two. This guy right here was the king of the Ohio State feed. So it, it is, it is, I, I'm being legitimately, I'm being, I'm being serious about this, Tim. It's an honor to be on with you. Did it, was I nice to you? I mean, what, 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 you what were, do you remember? Yeah, about you, were, you were, you were, you were, you probably didn't know who I was, but you were, I, I like, I look like I, I thought like most of the people on the beat then were, and I, I remember, you know, I interned at channel 10 in it for a summer. So I was around yeah. the team a lot then. And that was when, um, God, I, I can't, well, it was, it was Ryan Miller was one of the anchors there. Um, yeah. and obviously Dom, Dom Tiberi, was there, Dom Dom was Tiberi, there. Yeah. and then, um, and then Jeff Hogan was the yes. lead sports anchor, I believe. And I think he wound up going over to news, right. Eventually, yes. but, but those were the guys at, at channel 10. And then of course, all those years at the lantern. So yeah, man, I, uh, I got fond memories of those times. No question. Oh yeah, man. I got five minutes of every football season one way or the other. Like I always said, you know, you were there in 98, 99, 2000, 2001, you and I were talking before the show started. And that's what, see, that's what spices up a beat. You know, everybody thinks Ohio state's just been kicking everybody's rear end forever. Right. You know, yeah. now, you know, and, uh, and what spices up the beat is when there's a little dip, you know, the, yeah. the problem would like, I've told everybody, if I was covering Indiana or Northwestern football, I probably wouldn't have done it more than four or five years <laughs> <laughs> because Ohio state eventually gets back to the upper realm, you know, the, the yeah. elite. Hey, Hey, real quick. Uh, did it break your heart? What happened in the national championship game? Or did you, did you get enough juice out of the Ohio state beating Clemson to kind of carry you through? Cause you are, I think deep in your, deep in your soul, Ohio yeah. state football fan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's actually the one team I still root for. And I, I it's, it's great for me because, um, you know, I, I think, and, and you probably experienced this too. And I think anybody who gets into this business experiences, this is that it takes it out of you a little bit. Like yeah. it's sort of, um, you know, I, I think like, you know, with the NFL people, like people like look at me, like I'm, I'm crazy when I tell them I don't root for anybody, but it really does become that way, you know, where you, you know, you start to kind of, um, you know, look at the people as individual people and you look at the teams as businesses and um, you look at it as something you cover, you know, and, uh, you know, naturally there are people that, you know, you feel good when they're, when they do well, but, you know, it really sort of takes, it disconnects you a little bit from the reason, some of the reasons why you got into it in the first place, which, you know, were the passion that you had for it and that you grew up rooting for certain teams and everything else. And so, you know, following Ohio State has been great for me that way and that, um, you know, I never really cover, I, I covered college football for a little while when I got out of school, but, but, but never for very long. And so I was able to sort of kind of, you know, continue to be a fan of my alma mater, Yeah. you know, while, you know, everything else was sort of being ripped away from me. You know what I mean? Like rooting yeah. for any of the pro teams sort of became, it just sort of like naturally, you know, it stopped, you know? And so, um, yeah, man. I mean, I was at the national championship game. I went with some of my fraternity brothers and, and, and that was awesome. And, um, you know, we had a great time with it and it's been awesome seeing where Ryan's brought the program over the last couple of years, because you know, he's from up here, actually, he's from the, you know, not far from where I grew up. And, um, you know, I knew him a little bit when he was coaching in the NFL and, and thought he did a great job there. And, um, you know, so I, I think he's got the program in a great spot and, I would have loved to have seen us beat Alabama. Um, 
you know, that was an incredible, incredible Alabama team. So stung a little bit that night, but I know the future's still bright. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, they got revenge. You know, it's it's tough now because you got to win two games win a national championship. Yep. And, you know, they get revenge on Clemson. The next thing you know, they run into what I've called, and people on my podcast get tired of hearing me say this all the time, but that was the best Alabama offense I've seen. I, I grew up an Alabama fan back in the 60s. You know, mm-hmm. I went to games when Bear Bryant was still the coach, you know, with in the early 60s, Bear, you know, Joe Namath, et cetera. But that was as potent an Alabama offense as I've ever oh, seen. Oh, yeah. And, well, uh, and, and Mac Jones, the way he was able to I mean, I mean, from an NFL standpoint, too, you think about it. Like, oh, dude. The amount, yeah. I mean, first-round picks, like, and, and what they've had go through the program in the last two years, really, you know, and Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs last year. And Devontae Smith, um, who, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how, I, I, I don't know if he can hold up at the NFL level because of his, right. his build. But, I mean, as good a college receiver as I think I've ever seen. I mean, I, and, I, and watching him in person, you know, in, um, in Miami, at the, I, like, it's unbelievable what that guy does with his body. And I, you know, I still remember, um, you know, I, I remember talking to scout, a couple of scouts about him last year. And, um, you know, it was interesting because he didn't come out and he could have come out last year. Maybe, maybe it would have been a first round pick, maybe not coming out if he'd come out last year. And I had a scout that I really, really respect who I go to on a lot of things say to me, we were talking about rugs and, and Judy. And he said, but you know, the best one's still in school. And I'm like, what? He's like, no, 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 no. The best one's still in school. And other scouts had told me like, oh, like this guy's 160 pounds soaking wet. Like, we don't know if he'll make it in the NFL. And this one college scouting director said to me, he's like, he's like, trust me, this is the best one. He's better than Judy. He's better than Ruggs. He's the best one. And I think, you know, he obviously showed that (laughs) and I've gone back to the scout and I gave him props for it and everything else um, because he was right, you know, and, uh, but yeah, seeing the talent that's gone through that program and what people don't even talk about is the offensive line, which, you know, when I talk to some NFL folks about it, uh, it's, it's interesting. They, the uh, the NFL people I talk to believe that every, all five of the starters on that, on, on that offensive line at Alabama this year will wind up being NFL starters which is hmm. just bananas. You know wow. what I mean? Like, wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. so like I, I, you think about that. So we we're, we're talking about the skill guys and Najee Harris and Billingsley and Mechie and obviously Devonte Smith and Mac Jones. And then those guys have five starting NFL offensive linemen in front of them. It's really incredible group. And I had high hopes yeah. going in, but those got dashed pretty quickly. I was going to say though, you know, like I've told people, you know, if you had to take two people off of Ohio state uh, just before that game, to, to really affect the, the way they were doing business at the end of the year last year. It was Tommy Togi, a yeah. defensive tackle, nose guard, and Trey Sermon, the running back. Not that they were necessarily the best players on their sides of the ball, but everything hinged a lot, a lot of what Ohio State did and a lot of what it could have done against Alabama hinged on the, the, the basic uh, abilities of those two, yeah. those two guys, you know? And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was tough, man. I mean, for Ohio State. And I wanted to ask you real quick. I mean, Tommy Togi, I declared, you know, for the yep. draft. Uh, what's your take on it? Let's just jump into it a little bit. What's your take on him? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, I, I think the player you want to watch with him, um, and it's sort of interesting because I, I would relate him a little bit to Vita Vey, who, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know that he is the athlete that Vita Vey is, was coming out of Washington a couple of years ago, but, um, it's really easy to, to, to pat the Buccaneers in the back for that pick now. But if you want to go back a couple of years 
and you hear the way that some people were talking about that pick and you remember they took him over Derwin James and Derwin James is a really good player just like right away uh, yeah. for the Chargers coming out of Florida State and the Bucks took the 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 Bucks took some criticism for that and saying well you took a guy who is an outdated defensive tackle he's less of an athlete he's a run stopper Vita Vey was one of the best players and most valuable players in the Super Bowl and so yeah, I, I do think a lot of times these things work on comps. And so I think for a guy like Tommy Togiai, one of the issues over the last few years would have been, well, can you find an impact player in the NFL who looks like him? And is this an outdated defensive tackle? The big run stuffing nose, like, is that not, like, is what you're looking at there still have the value that it might've had 10 or 20 years ago. And then you see somebody like Vita Vey and it's yeah. like, okay, like, now you see what Tampa's able to do with him. And now maybe a team looks at it and says with a Tommy Togiai, yeah, you know, we can still make use of the bigger defensive tackle and he doesn't need to be strictly a run player. He can help us in the passing game too. So yeah. I still think he's probably a day two pick, um, you know, round two, round three. Um, but I, I think that somebody like Vita Vey, who was the 12th pick in the draft, definitely helps him. Yeah, I was going to say, see, you're, you're barking right up my tree, man. I'm an A-gap. I'm an A-gap stuffer, <laughs> uh, but get up field. I mean, you know, if I'm yeah. if I'm getting a defense together, it affects the, uh, the 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 offense and the quarterback so much. If you can get any kind of like consistent pressure in the A-gap, and I'm talking yep. about, you know, a guy that you've got to deal with on every play that, that gives your center and your left or right guard a headache, you know, I mean, I just think that is so well, it's, crucial. It's occupying to blockers too. I mean, that's what yeah. the Bucks did, you know. And I, yeah. and it's interesting because, like, if you if you want to talk in the passing game, it's, it's I did a story with Todd Bowles today on. Yeah, um, no, excellent. You know, I was going to ask you about it. On, Go ahead. Um, on on what they did, and and he you know, he brought up Vita again with you know being able to stop the run with a six man box. Yes, how that helped them, you know, like deal with the Chiefs' passing game. Okay, like now we can put two safeties back without compromising much because we can stop the run with a six man box. And so that helps us stop the passing game uh, because we're able to deal with the running game with less people. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I do think, you know, you're onto something there with, with a player like Togi, it does help you change the math to some degree and that he can occupy multiple blockers. He can make it easier to stop the run, which can help you put another player on the field. There's just, there's different ways to play. And, you know, I think again, like somebody like Togi is an interesting prospect because he does bring something unique to the table, which is, you know, his athleticism for his size and obviously freakish strength, which yes. um, it's too bad because I, I, I did hear some whispers about him. You know, you always hear this time of year, who's going to break this record or that record. Usually it's the 40, you know, like, like someone's going to make a run at, um, you know, I guess it would be John Ross's uh, record in the 40 now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, I'd heard some rumblings that Tommy might've had a, might've had a decent shot at the bench press record. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you got short arms, you know, they have to go very far. That's why <laughs> yeah. I always look at it. You know, it's uh, but yeah. no, you're right. I mean, uh, it, it's interesting. I, I want to jump into that Todd Bowles thing you did on Monday morning quarterback. Uh, as we record this, it's Monday morning. I'm sitting in, uh, in frosty Hilliard, Ohio, where it's 14 degrees. You're sitting where Albert? Duxbury, Massachusetts, where it's probably, I can look it up. It, it was actually, we, we were, we had wind chill under, under zero on Friday and Saturday. Yeah. Uh, but it's warmed up a little bit. It's like, it's about, it's, it's, it's like a nice, like 33 right now, I think something like yeah. that. Right around yeah. There. 
Well, my, you know, my, my, I'm, my wife's uh, family's from that area, by the way. We got married. My wife and I got married to Martha Mary Chapel in Sudbury, Massachusetts, which is over by Longfellow's Wayside Inn. I don't know if you've ever been well, over you there. Know that's, but you know that's my hometown, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm just messing with you. But, okay, uh, okay, I mean, okay. But that's, I thought, that's I, where we got married. You told huh? me that story before, and I just I couldn't remember. I, all right, all right, good. Yeah, but okay. I think I told you when, when I first met my uh, then great grandfather in law, he passed out. So, uh, uh, oh so, wow, yeah, what such a, such is what it was. Yeah, I think he had too much lamb at the mar at the Longfellow's <laughs> Wayside Inn. Yeah, but I digress. Uh, no, the bottom line is, uh, uh, I'm reading that I'm reading that Monday Morning Quarterback this week, and uh, the Todd Bowles story. The only thing you didn't have in there was do your job, <laughs> you know, which yeah. is what Bill Belichick yeah. uh, rants and raves at his players in certain times. But uh, but keep it simple, stupid was pretty much the approach. And number two, I was just going, you know, this this was exa exactly the kind of defense I thought Ohio State was going to play against Alabama, which was yeah. don't let Devontae Smith just come off the line and make a cut, you know, and get yeah, just wide ball open. At the line, right. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. But they did come out with that four linebacker look for the most part. Uh, did a, on occasionally did a decent job, but but Mac Jones was able to get rid of the ball so fast to a wide open receiver. It didn't really matter. And, uh, and it's funny because you read a story and it's talking about one thing, but you're applying it to something else. And and uh, but yeah, Todd Bowles, what a resurrection for him, him and his career, et cetera. Right? I mean, yeah. the last. I mean, he's done a, you know, it, it's actually kind of cool for me too. Cause I, I go back with him a little bit. I was covering the Cowboys for the Dallas morning news when he was a secondary coach there and everybody sort of knew he was going places. Um, you know, yeah. and I, I, I think like, you know, if you, and when I was covering the team, it was when Wade Phillips was the coach and they still had some of the Parcells guys left over, um, you know, and Todd had a secondary that had, you know, had some characters in it. You had, uh, you know, Terrence Newman and Roy Williams and Anthony Henry. And, um, you know, one of the things about Todd was he always got the most out of people, you know, and he always, he always, he always had this like level of, yeah, I, I think players really genuinely believe like this guy is going to get the most out of me and this guy's got my back and this guy is going to put me in a position to succeed. And, in the NFL, that's the name of the game, you know, because the goal of all of these guys is to be rich. <laughs> I mean, you boil yeah. it down, it's to win, it's to put rings on your fingers. Yes, all of that. But but the goal is to make money, you know, and the goal is to get rich. And so, um, you know, I, I think, you know, the demeanor of a coach matters, but, you know, what really, really, what, what, what really counts is, can you help me do my job at the best, at the highest level I possibly can? And that's the way I look at bowls is that, he's always been able to get the most out of people out, out of the people that he coaches. And so, um, yeah, I think he yeah. just sort of was a victim of circumstance a little bit in New York. And, um, yeah, I don't need to go chapter and verse through the way everything worked there, but <laughs> he got them to a 10 win season his first year. They didn't rip the bandaid off because of that until three years into his tenure and everything sort of went sideways with the rebuild. Um, I do think he's somebody who's learned from the first time around. And, um, you know, I think he'd do a great job if he got another shot, you know, yeah. um, yeah. a lot of times people look at retreads and say, well, you know, like, 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 well, he failed over here, but you look at some of the most successful coaches in NFL history. I mean, Mike Shanahan was fired by the Raiders. Bill Belichick was fired by the Browns. Um, Andy Reid was fired by the Eagles. Now I know that's yeah. a little different type of retread, but, um, yeah. yeah, I don't think You're anybody right. was looking at Andy Reid as this innovator eight years ago when he got fired by Philly. 
people had thought like sort of that his time had passed and, you know, look at him now. So, you know, I do think Bowles, you know, the same way those guys got their second shot would do really well with the second shot yeah. somewhere. Bruce Arians. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. he just won the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Gruden, you know, goes to Tampa Bay and wins the Super Bowl, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, et cetera. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. Uh, speaking of, you just led me into the path I was wanting to go down anyway. So how is Urban Meyer going to do at Jacksonville in your opinion? Uh, obviously, yeah. I don't know if you call it a gap. I'd love to hear your opinion on that, Tim. You've been around well, it more than I, I, I here's, here's, here's my opinion on that. Uh, and I've given it to quite a few outlets. Uh, yeah. uh, this guy, Urban Meyer, is a very intelligent man, uh, yeah. number one. Number two, does he hate losing? Without a doubt. You know, Does it eat at him? Absolutely. But that was in college football. Albert, you lose one game in college football, and unless you're Alabama and occasionally Ohio State or somebody, your big dream is done. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, you yeah. can't lose. And so, yeah, you hate losing when you're, a, when you're a college football coach above everything else. He's smart enough to know that you can lose five or six games in the NFL and still make the playoffs, you know, right. number one. I think he's almost stated that to, to a certain extent from some of the interviews I've seen. Uh, I had him on my podcast a few times over the over this past year and stuff, and, and uh, you know, he I wouldn't call it, say he had mellowed, but he's always studying the game in some form or yeah. fashion. And uh, he didn't jump into this just on a backflip off the side of the pool. You know, he climbed up to the to the top rung of the diving board and jumped in the way I looked at it. He was studying it all the way. And then, you know, of course, uh, I don't know if you call it a gap, but hiring the former strength coach from Iowa and then having to, to uh, unceremoniously uh, uh, basically fire him a week into his job, I think that was an eye opener to uh, maybe some of the uh, uh, some of the political pressure, whatever you want to call it, that you're going to run into yeah. that maybe you didn't at Ohio State. Of course, he did have his tough situation there in the Zach Smith thing, but there, there was a lot. There were a lot of levels to that that weren't uncovered, uh, in my opinion, or, or lightly covered. But the bottom line is, I think he's going to be a. It's all who you surround yourself with, as you just pointed out a minute ago about Todd Bowles in this situation and. After he left the Jets, who would have, yeah, you know, who would have picked him up up off the side of the road? Now he's a Super Bowl champion. So yeah. I think Urban is smart enough. He has studied the game. I think he knows talent. You saw him standing front and center in front of Trevor Lawrence at his workout the other day. He and I were talking about Trevor Lawrence five, seven, you know, two or three months ago, five, seven, eight weeks ago. He really likes this guy. Um, you know. Everything's tailor made for him to succeed there. I don't know if you agree or not from the standpoint of. Yeah. I mean, I, I, Tim, I, I think you're with me on this. Like, I don't think he goes there if they don't have the first pick. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't either. I, Everything mean, I, 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 I like, like, and if you look at it, like, and if you talk to, and yes, it's Jacksonville, but if you talk to um, guys who are in the running for these jobs, head coach or GM candidates, they all viewed, I, most of them viewed Jacksonville as the most attractive one. You have yeah. multiple picks in the first round, multiple picks in the second round, multiple picks, um, in the fourth round, I mean, it's, it's a hundred million dollars in cap space, patient ownership, a generational quarterback prospect coming out available with the first overall pick. It's, there's so many things that are in place there where you can build it from the ground up and you're going to have a chance to kind of mold the place, um, in your own image and, and, and yeah. the way you see fit. And so I think in a lot of ways it is perfect for urban. And I, I had some of those conversations with urban over the last uh, you know, year or two also since he's been out. And um, yeah, I think the most interesting thing was how hard he studied the NFL. And that sort of told me, I think it was a tell 
that yes. he was at least going to dip his toe in the water and take the temperature of it and see, is there somewhere that would fit for me? Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that like a lot of what he, you know, walked away from it with was, uh, you know, like, like how important culture was and that's his specialty, right? Like I think yes. more than an X's and O's coach, he's a, he's a culture coach. Um, and you know, like, I think one of the things that really kind of like, like came out of that for him was like, it's not the disparity in talent from one team to the other. Cause there are good players everywhere in the NFL and the difference from one team to the next is much, much smaller in the NFL than it is in the sec or in the big 10 or in the pac 12 or in the ACC. Um, you know, it's just like, it's just, there are, there's, there's a reason why, um, why there's a reason why each guy there is in the NFL. So I yeah. think he felt like, you know, in a game that's one on the margins, the NFL's one on the margins, he could find a way to own the margins. And, um, it was, it's so interesting too. Cause I, and I know this is sort of a long winded answer, but you're talking about college to pro sort of goes back to something. I remember Chip Kelly telling me after he left the Eagles and Chip said that, um, he felt like the biggest difference between the NFL and college was, situational football. And I was like, that's interesting. What do you mean? He says, well, he's like in the NFL, like, you know, whatever it was 80% of the games are won by seven points or less. So what does that yes. mean? That means third downs is really important. That means red zones really important. That means, you know, the last two minutes of each half is really important. Um, it's like in, in, in college football, he's like, I could roll the balls out and win nine of my games by multiple scores. He's like, and then there'd be three or four games where it wasn't like that. And I could prepare myself for those games in the NFL. Every game was like those games. And so situ I, I had to become a lot better at situational football. And I think that's sort of a microcosm of what the NFL is. The difference in talent from team to team is so small yeah. that every game has to be one on the margins. And I think urban probably, you know, just my sense, like through his study of this, talking to his ex players and all the different places and his coaching connections through the league. Okay. Like this game's one of the margins. Can I own the margins? And I think he feels like with the program that he cultivated from Bowling Green to Utah to Florida to Ohio state, he had a program that was going to be equipped to win on the margins. Yeah, no, you, that's it in a nutshell. And uh, you know, I, I, that's what I always remind people, you know, the NFL, even the worst team is a team of all-stars, you know, uh, when you think about it uh, in one form or fashion. That's why I always, always laugh when they say Alabama could line up and go play back in the day Buffalo and beat Buffalo. Maybe one time out of ten, you know, the way I looked at it. You know what I mean? Because everybody on Buffalo, you know, is a great, you know, in some form or fashion was a great player, great prospect. So, no, you're exactly right. And here's the thing before we move on. The thing about Urban that, that I think sets him apart from a lot of guys I've covered and Trussell, Jim Trussell was like this a lot too, but he knows where the buttons are. I mean, he figures out where your buttons are, mm -hmm. you know, and he pushes them both mm -hmm. good and bad. And uh, that's his motivational uh, uh, secret. If, if that's what you want to call it. And, and I'm not talking, I'm not just talking about with players. I'm talking about with coaches. I mean, he yeah. he's on his coaches as much as he is on his players. And, uh, and man, if you do good things for him, you know, you, you, you definitely get rewarded. And if you don't, he has his you inner know, circle, I mean, that's yeah. the thing is like, and, yeah. like and, I, and I do think that that's part of it with him. Like, like, and I've always felt this way. The people who are his guys are loyal to him for life. Right. Yeah. Like Alex Smith, Tim Tebow. 
I mean, you even talked to like a Brandon Spikes and, and, and what he says all these years later about playing for Urban Meyer. Um, you know, you talk about some of the guys who went through Ohio State and played for him, you know, yeah. you know, the Bosa's or, or Mike Thomas or, or Marshawn Lattimore or, you know, the guys who've been really successful in the NFL, they're all really loyal to him. Well, why? Because he helped them get where they needed to go. And because they bought in to what he was selling, he's yeah. got a very, very high level of loyalty to them. And but so you know, I what, do, you know, intrigues me. That's that I think is similar between him and Saban and Belichick of, of, of just three guys. Yeah. They stay aloof enough from their players and fellow coaches to where they have no problem telling them something to their face. If you, you know, you, you right. follow my drift there. I mean, yeah. there's never any doubt that he's in charge. If you follow right. what I'm yeah. saying. And, uh, no, you're exactly right. But, you know, like even with Tom Herman, when he was in Ohio State, when he first got there, you know, like I asked him about that, about moving on, becoming a head coach sometime. He goes, he wanted to stay there with Ohio State long enough to play for and maybe win a national championship because he knew the Urban Meyer way would get them there. But there are a lot of guys that, you know, working for Urban, it's a every day, what have you done? What are you doing today? Not what did you, what, not what did you, did you do yesterday? What are you well, doing today? And what's, what's, com what's coming on the agenda? You know, the boot is always in play. <laughs> so, so yeah, and I, I think what it, what it, yeah, and that's what intrigues me about it is that, you know, I do think programs like that in the NFL, you have to win quickly. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, I'll give you. Uh, I mean, like, I I think like Belichick's program, right? Like, so and and look at the way it is, like Belichick for that to work in New England had to win quickly, and there were some people there that felt like after that five and eleven year in two thousand, like. There were rumors, but there've been, like, I've heard stuff since then. Like, um, you know, obviously I wasn't covering the NFL at the time. I was still in college then, but um, you know, there were, I I've heard stories about how some coaches houses were on the market. Some of the new England coaches houses were in the market in 2001 wow. uh, yeah. because they, because they felt like we might be in trouble here. They went five and 11 their first year. They started and two that second year. You know, then obviously Mo Lewis hits Drew Blood, so Tom Brady goes in the game, and the rest is history. Yeah. And now it becomes easier to sell your program because all you got to do is point at the trophy case and say, "Look at how many millionaires I've made. Look at how many millionaires have come through here." Uh, but if you don't win quickly, it can be a problem. And I think Saban ran into that too. You know, he was nine and seven his first year in Miami, the hard place to play though, and yeah. they picked the wrong quarterback you know, Dante Culpepper over Drew Brees in 2006 and the wheels sort of came off. And then all of a sudden you have the grumbling. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that made it easy for urban to sell his program at Florida and Ohio state is that he already had credibility at that level. Like I think to sell a tough program and I expect he'll run a tough program. You have to have results, you know? Yeah. And so I do think that like finding a way to get results quickly is going to be important. Yeah, I, th I think what struck Saban right in square between the eyes, though, was that he did not, he was not the ultimate decision maker, you know, uh, yeah. and, and, and that had, I know that, you know, you've been around Saban, that had to drive him nuts, you know. Right. And, uh, well, when we'll a doctor's telling, yeah, a doctor tells you you can't sign Drew Brees. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But, but that, uh, I mean, I, I could tell you, like. Uh, like that's the way it works in a lot of NFL buildings. Like, you know, like oh, yeah. this time of year, especially like guys come, you know, the, 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 the owner like has a doc, like has the, you know, hires the team doctor and the team doctor is I, in a lot of cases, these are very well-respected guys, you know, nationally re renowned doc, like, like orthopedic, orthopedic doctors. 
And you know, a lot of times like the owners, the owner will say to the coach, I'm paying him to like, look at the, like, look at the medicals. Like you can't overrule him. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Like, exactly. like this guy's here for a reason. And I think for college coaches, maybe sometimes that can be a little jarring and seeing like, Oh, this is an actual like business. Like there's a full on operation here where I can't just overrule whoever I want. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah it's kind of like buying a used car and the uh, mechanic you take it to says, no, no, man, this wheel's going to fall off eventually. Yeah, I think his wheel finally may have fallen off this year, but you know what I'm talking about with uh, Drew Brees. Uh, yep. He had quite a, he's like buying a used Mercedes or something. But uh, yeah, but I, I, yeah. I was, it was, I was tough to, I mean, I watching Drew in that last game, it's tough to watch in that last yeah. game. Yeah, no when he question. turned and looked back at the stadium though, when he was leaving, uh, I was watching on television and uh, I'm just going, wow, man, that, that might've been his last glance and yeah. uh, what a career. Cause we all, y'all remember you were covering Ohio state when he beat. Oh Ohio yeah. State. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, Hey, Hey, listen, like I always tell people I was in the big Ten at the same time as Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One was and, too slow and, and one I was remember, too yeah. One my, was too my, slow and one was too short. Yeah. My freshman year, <laughs> my freshman year, Tom Brady was the quarterback of Michigan. Drew Brees was the quarterback of Purdue. And yeah. I believe the big 10 offensive player of the year was can you get this oh wait a minute uh it would have been no it wouldn't have been uh what's his face at wisconsin uh who was it joe germain joe germain that's right, that's right. <laughs> how about that yeah joe Dude. germain was the big 10 offensive player of the year one quarter Brady one, one 20 minute span of football cost joe germain going down in history i'm telling you what's that? about against michigan state in 98 oh yeah yeah, yeah. one one 20 minute span. Hey, real quick, let's, let's, uh, cause I don't want to keep up too much of your time here. Uh, yep. uh, I did want to ask you this though. Uh, as you, as you look at this upcoming draft is Trevor Lawrence, in your opinion, by far the number one pick, as you look at it yeah. right now, based on that workout the other day, and then sure. people want to know from your vantage point, where does Justin Fields fall into this? Sure. So, um, like Trevor Lawrence is to me in a separate category. Um, and that's not, that, 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 that's not an affront to anyone else. Um, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. It's just, it is what it is. And I, yeah. you know, this isn't based on my evaluation. I'm not a scout. I can see what everybody else can see, but I'm not a scout, but having talked to scouts, I, um, you know, about the kid for the last two years, um, he's the next one that sort of has that generational tag. And, you know, I, I think that really to me, they're, I mean, in my lifetime, um, which is sort of the like kind of like a simple time frame for me to look at it um, and talking to scouts who have been doing this for a long time, like some longer than I've been alive. Um, four guys are in that category and it's John Elway. It's Peyton Manning. It's Andrew Luck. And it's and, and it's Trevor Lawrence. So I, I think that sort of can, can contextualize how Trevor Lawrence is seen by the NFL community. And also, I mean, like, like, like we were talking about a big reason why you know, this is the right opportunity for urban. Um, and then I think it's sort of a race to see who can go number two. I, I think that the, the next three are sort of seen in the next, in, in a cluster and, you know, they all have questions. So, you know, with Zach Wilson, I think it's more like, does his game translate um, the way he plays? Cause he plays sort of a Mahomes type of style yes. and is his frame big enough physically? Does he physically, can he take hits at the next level? 
Uh, he doesn't have the arm strength that Mahomes does, but he's got a really good arm. You know, he's accurate. Um, he's fast. There's going to be questions about him not being a captain at BYU. And that's it, it, mark it down. That's going to come up a lot over the next two months. So yeah. there's that with Zach Wilson with Justin Fields is how fast does he see the field? The one thing you hear with Justin a lot is that he just needs to play more, you know, and that with experience, he'll get better, but physically with Justin, it's all there. Um, he's accurate. He's big. He's strong. Um, he's fast. Um, I think he might actually, I mean, I think it actually might like, like, I think he really could have like, from what I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard the same stuff. He really could have burned up the 40 in Indy, which would have really helped him. So he might be a guy who's hurt a little bit by the combine not happening. Yeah. Uh, You know, and then Trey Lance, I still think that there's this perception, you know, level of play. Um, he had the one game this year that he didn't play all that well in. He's only got one full year as a starter. So I think like those three are all seen as having like franchise quarterback tools, but they all have holes and it sort of becomes, what are you most comfortable with? And which of these holes do you think the player can work past? Like with Zach Wilson, can he take the hits? Can he put on some weight? Can he adjust his style of play? With yeah. Justin Fields, can he learn to see it a little bit faster? When things get muddy on him, can he learn to play? Can he learn to handle those situations a little bit better? And then with Trey Lance, can you like how does he project to a higher level of competition? And you know about North Dakota State. I, I mean, the players he has aren't as good as Ohio State. They aren't as good as Clemson. Um, but I like they're way better than their competition, right? Like, yeah. so he's playing with an advantage on a week to week basis. And that that program is an absolute juggernaut at the level he's playing at. So, yeah, I think with each of these guys is sort of like when you get, when you get past the physical tools and you look at some of the things they need to work on, like, who are you comfortable with as far as their ability to work through that stuff? Yeah. And so that's why I think like the interviews are going to be massive for these kids, you know, because, and, and they're all going to happen over zoom this year. I think you're going to get to the pro days and these guys are going to show they have it physically, you know, and then the question is going to be in the zoom interviews, like how these teams are testing them because really for the quarterbacks, I think it's going to be a huge part this year of which order they go in. And right now I would say if I had to, you know, like kind of like gather a consensus on, on, on the way they fall right now, I'd say Lawrence obviously won, and then probably Wilson, Fields, Lance. And I yeah. think all four of those guys have a really good shot to go inside the top 10. Yeah, I was on, uh, I was on uh, Bo Bishop and, uh, and Jim, James Laurinaitis' uh, uh, radio show the other day, and we were talking about the quarterbacks. I said, you know what bugs me about uh, Wilson? Uh, that I, I, We had talked about this a couple of weeks earlier, but I didn't bring it up. I said, you know, I don't like his – for if I'm a nitpicker, I don't like the way he finishes his throws, meaning he throws yeah. – he finishes, look, he throws like a curveball instead of throwing that, you know, index finger down into the ground like you're taught, yeah. you know, the quarterback to snap it off. Well, and the, you know the pros will nitpick on that. But when you look at Lance, you go, yeah, the guy's had a phenomenal career, yet the windows are so huge in FCS yeah. that you're throwing into. And uh, I'm just wondering, too, whether Wentz is sort of like rise, but getting to a certain level and now falling off is going to make people – sort of like, you know, look more and more yeah. to, the, to the guys who have played against like personnel, you know what I mean? And uh, that's where right. when you play at Ohio State and, and Clemson and uh, Alabama, yeah. not every that's game why I think like, like that. Like, I think that's why Justin, like, you know, the, the, the Bama game didn't go great, you know, but yeah. 
I think Clemson when you did. look, but you, when you look at when you look at the two Clemson games, I mean that's that yep. you know like the Alabama tape might be the first one that NFL teams pull on Justin, but I guarantee you the next two will be the two Clemson games, and he yep. played really well in those games. The loss, yes. he played well in the loss too. Like so, you know, I think like teams are going to look at that and say, okay, like there's something we can work with here. And I, I think the other part that's sort of interesting about it too, Tim, some of the questions you heard about. Uh, Justin Fields aren't that different than the questions you heard on Justin Herbert last year. And so I sort of wonder if Justin Herbert's success, like makes people think, okay, like there's so much to work with physically here. We know he's tough the same way we knew Justin Herbert was tough. We know he's a good kid the same way we knew Justin Herbert was a good kid. We know he's smart the same way we know Justin Herbert's smart. And then they look at it and they say, okay, Justin Herbert was able to work past some of the things that were perceived holes in his game and the pros, and maybe they feel like Justin Fields can do the same thing. And so I think from that standpoint, like the success of Justin Herbert with the Chargers, I think actually really does help Justin Fields. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's there's nothing like, I mean, it's too bad we didn't get to go to any kind of practices and stuff this year, but there's nothing like standing on the sidelines and watching a guy who can really throw the football <laughs> Throw yeah. the football, right? I mean, I mean, there, there. I mean, even Art Schleister said, you know, uh, in my buddy Jeff Snook's book, he wrote with Art Schleister. You know, there was a difference between him and John Elway. John Elway had much bigger hands, could snap the. You know what I mean? Even among yep. the elite, there's there is a, a level that you get to. Hey, last thing, uh, Albert, uh, uh, how much do you enjoy doing what you do? I mean, and and how yeah. much was it? How much was it affected this year by not getting to get into uh, locker rooms, et cetera, sure. and really, you know, apply yourself? Um, I, I love what I do. Um, you know, honestly, uh, you know, working like, and I, I, you know, I, I, I work long hours and you know, this, like this job requires you work weekends, you work nights. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, 80, 90 hour weeks aren't like that unusual. Um, and it's hard to balance it yeah. with everything else, especially as you get older with kids and everything. But I, I always tell people like, I, I just, like, it doesn't feel like work to me. And, you know, when I, when I feel like I, um, you know, like it's, it's, it's like, it's not about like working until a certain point, it's working until I get the job done, you know? And, um, and I, and I always, uh, it's, it's funny. Cause I think about this stuff and you, you know, you have those like little, like, you know, you have like those little, like, like, like kind of moments in your job and, and I'm sure they happen for you. For us, it's like a big trade happens or, um, you know, there's an injury you got to chase down, whatever it is. And it's like, I, I always think to myself when that stuff happens, it's like, if I was doing like a desk job yeah. somewhere, like my dad was a stockbroker, right? Like when he was younger and, and, um, did that like first his first like you know I don't know eight nine years out of college, and it's like I always used to think to myself like if I was doing one of those jobs I would be sitting at my desk like following what I'm doing for a job now anyway so I'd be like I'd be like sitting there like that's what yeah. I would be I'd be like locked on to that stuff you know so I mean in that way it really is sort of a yeah. dream come true that you get to do it for a living you know like um, that like the stuff that I would be doing anyway the stuff that I would be following anyway. I mean, yeah, there are elements of it that are work. There's no question about that. It's a job like anything else, but I would be following this stuff anyway. And like in my free time, like I'm sitting with my kids and you know, my, my two boys uh, are six and four and 
you know, they were wearing their Justin Fields jerseys on Saturdays this fall. Like I yeah. like, like that's what I'm doing my free time too. Like I'm, I'm watching college football. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I feel really fortunate that I do what I do. And I, you know, football was a sport I played growing up and it was a sport my dad sort of handed down to me. And, um, you know, the fact that like, I get to cover the sport that like I would have chosen when I got into being, you know, a sports writer, sports reporter to begin with. It's, it's just like, I'm really, really fortunate. And the fact that like, you can do it where you can provide for your family too. I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's awesome. And I think anybody who works in sports understands that because it's um, there are a lot of people who want to get into it. And so because of that, when you are younger, you have to work for less money, sometimes no money. You have to work for a lot of hours and it's a process of elimination um, because there are so many people who want to get into it. It's very easy to find people who are willing to do that. And uh, you know, like when you're 22, 23, 24 years old, again, it's just, and I, I, I went through it. I'm sure the same way you went through it. You see people just decide, screw this. I don't want to do this anymore. And it's sort of, you know, your willingness to kind of withstand those sorts of things and, and make it through. And um, yeah, yeah, I'm just really, I'm, I'm lucky that like I figured out what I wanted to do at a young age and um, and now I get to do it full time. Yeah, I've, I've felt lucky my entire career, but I never, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I never let myself think I've got it made or whatever. You know, there were young whippersnappers no. like Albert Breer and everybody coming up, et cetera, number one. But number two, you know, it's like, I remember one time, uh, uh, one of the Ohio State coaches, I won't name, but he was going, Tim, you know, your your guys, y'all got to learn, uh, you know, this, that, and the other about, you know, staying in line or, you know what I mean? Uh, Tony, I said, I said, no, you don't understand, coach. I said, me and, you know, reporter B from like a plain dealer or something, Cleveland plain dealer, that's just like you and the coach from Michigan. I mean, we're, we're not, we're yeah. not on the same team, you know? And no, it's like, and, and, I mean, that's the fun part about it for me too, is like, the, that, like, you know, I'm, I'm competitive and yeah. um, I'm friends with a lot of people I compete with, but I, I, you know, like, I think like that's sort of, it does give you that, like where, um, you know, like one of the things that like, I remember, you know, like when I, and, and I think like a lot of us, like I, I at one point was like, you know, kicking around the idea. Do I want to coach? Do I want to try to be a GM? You know, and this is when you're younger and you're sort of thinking of what you want to do. Yeah. And, um, and like, I, I think one of the things that appealed about that to me was the idea that you get to go through wins and losses, right? Like, and that you get to feel the highs and the lows. And, and I always loved that about sports, right? Like there's always a scoreboard in the end. And, um, you know, I just loved competing and I, I feel like this does th- this job is the same thing. You're competing with so many different people and, you know, every Monday, like I, I just tell you every Monday for me, um, you know, the same way, like when I was younger and young journalists don't have this anymore, but you remember the feeling of like looking at the other paper, right, Tim? Like, yeah. and like, yeah. so you're sort of like, there's that second when you're opening it up where you're scared to death about what the other person has. And, uh, but I have that now on Monday mornings yeah. with Peter and I love Peter yeah. and he's been great. He's been a mentor to me, but I, I, I compete my ass off with Peter and Peter and Peter does the same with me, you know? And I, uh, and it's made me so much better. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so there's absolutely that. I mean, I could, I, you can see me light up when we get to this part of the conversation. Right. But like, I, I just like, I, I, I love, yeah. I love competition and I, 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 and I, the, the idea that I get to compete on a, um, on like a day-to-day week-to-week basis with so many other people that are really good at this is, is a great part of the job. No question. 
Yeah, by the way, real quick before I go, uh, when I first started covering high state football, we were the afternoon paper and there was the morning paper, the citizen journal. Um, <laughs> and that that really sucked because you, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you spent all night, you know, and uh, next day you get up and it either is or wasn't, either was or wasn't in their paper, but it was in mine, you know what I mean, so to speak. But uh, I mean, we all, we, we probably sound so old right now, Tim, talking about the paper, yeah. but I, I, I can still remember because I, when I was, um, when I was covering the Patriots in 05 and 06, um, so I was writing for a, 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 like a suburban daily called the Metro West Daily News, which place was awesome for me. But we were owned by the Boston Herald. So a lot of times my stuff would be in the Herald. And so, you know, back then the internet was around, right? Like, yeah. but we would hold, like, like they would hold stuff for the paper still at that point, right? Oh, yeah, like, we, so, we did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was probably a huge mistake. And part of the reason why newspapers have had so many problems because they did stuff like that, right? But yes. they would still hold stuff for the paper. And I can still remember, like, you know, I was living in the North End in Boston. And um, I can still remember going to, like, the, you know, whatever the, you know, the, the, the convenience store down the street and you, you pick up the papers and there's the globe, the Herald, the Providence journal. And you, and, and, and I remember like that feeling of your heart dropping when there was something in the other paper that you didn't have. And then that feeling of exhilaration when you knew you had something and then you open up the other papers and it wasn't in there. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's interesting that way. And, and, and in Boston, those papers, the early editions would hit the newsstands at like 1 a.m. So I could actually go after my shift and pick up the newspapers and see it. So I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, Tim, that's never coming back. <laughs> no, no, back. that's not coming. No, no. Now you just pick, click on Twitter and see if somebody's just tweeted <laughs> yeah. your scoop. You know what I mean? But yeah. you're right. That was kind of like uh, after a Broadway show going down and getting the, you know, reading your review. You know what I mean? I mean, it's kind of like every day you got a, a report card, so to speak. Yeah. Hey, yeah. But it was like, but you know what? Like it was great. Cause it, like, I honestly think like stuff like, and we're going way afield now, but I honestly think stuff like that makes everybody better. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. Like, oh, like, yeah. it, like, like it's tough. It, it's tough. Like, cause they're, you're going to, you're going to take some losses, but um, you know, it, it's just, everybody's better in an environment like that. I, I you know what though, firmly believe I adopted that. a philosophy though, a long time ago that, you know, when people would have like a scoop that I knew was not correct, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it, you gotta, you gotta be really disciplined this now in Twitter, the Twitter verse. I just wouldn't even respond to it one way or the other. Cause it wasn't, it, I never saw it as my job to prove or disprove. Oh, that was the thing. Else. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the interesting thing about that to me was like, I, I, so I worked for both the Herald and, um, and the Globe. And then I worked for the Dallas yeah. Morning News in, in, um, when I was covering the Cowboys. And so for the Globe, it was interesting because the Herald was sort of the scrappy underdog, right? And so when I was there, they would like want you to call the Globe out, right? So if they had something wrong, it yeah. would be contrary to the report in the Globe. And they told me to do that. And like, I remember there were times where I was like, Oh God. And, and, and I wound up pissing some people off, but I was sort of just following marching orders on some of that stuff. Yeah. And, and, and it wasn't just the globe. It was like, if there's some other report that you're contradicting, say it. And then I worked. And then when I worked at the globe in the morning news, there was this, I guess, attitude. It's not news unless we report it. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, oh, so, yeah. if it oh, didn't, yeah. so if it didn't show up in our pages, like we weren't going to even acknowledge it. Right. Like, yeah. and, so, yes. and, and I thought that was like always an interesting kind of difference between the, 
number one paper in a town and then the number two paper in the town is that like it's like you said like and i and i sort of like that because then i wouldn't have to like denigrate somebody for getting something wrong you just basically act as if it never happened you know and i i sort yeah. of felt like yeah. Like despite there being some arrogance involved there too, probably like I, I sort of like the idea that it was like it's like confirming stuff, right? Like a lot of people out, a lot of people in our business, yes. Like, like 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 it's like, well, I'm going to confirm it to get my name on it. That's not why you're confirming it. You're confirming it to make sure it's right. Like that's why you're confirming it. You know what I mean? Like, and we all, but yeah. we all, but we all had to go through that where it was like, exactly. like, like, like we wouldn't be allowed to cite somebody else back then. It was no, we need to make sure this is right before we put in the paper. And uh, so it was just sort of yeah. an interesting, subtle difference between the between different places. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. Like when I was at the Globe, when I was at the Morning News, it was if somebody has something wrong and we haven't had anything on it, leave it alone. And if you know, it was just sort of like if if we if we haven't confirmed it for ourselves, like if we haven't seen it with our own two eyes. Right. Then, you know, then it's, then, then it doesn't rise to the level that, that, that it doesn't rise to the level where we're going to put it in the paper. And I think there'd be a lot less stuff that was wrong out there now if people approached reporting that way. But yeah. We are where we are. Now I sound, now, 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 now I sound like the old arrogant, like Globy or. Oh, no. No, I said online, you'd rather be right than first, you know, yeah, you, but yeah. you want to be first, but you'd rather well, be but right. It's all, but, but it's all credibility. That's exactly. The thing exactly. It's like, okay, thing. Want, like people are only going to keep coming back to me if they think that like what they're reading is if there's truth in what I'm reading, what they're reading. And, um, you know, I'm not only accountable to my readers, I'm accountable to the people in the league too. I need them to keep talking to me. And the only way they keep talking to me yeah, like and and again, like you know this as well as I do. Yeah. Like ninety percent of my job is is building and maintaining relationships. Yeah. Um, if they don't talk to me anymore, then I'm screwed. Then what do I yeah. do? Then my value is gone. And so you know I need to be able to build and maintain those relationships. And if I can build and maintain those relationships, I can be good at my job. And to build and maintain those relationships, I need to be right. Like I have like ninety nine point nine percent of the time. Yeah. And I'm not talking about but, predictions, but when you're reporting facts, like, you know. Yeah. Well, that's my favorite line is that, you know, when, when somebody says they're, they're citing a source about something, uh, my problem is I have no idea who their source is. You know what I mean? So yeah. why would I rely on somebody? I know who all my sources are. And, you know, you'll be working on a story just like somebody else. They may break it ahead of you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, until you get it from somebody you definitely trust, you know, you're not going to write it. So, you know, what I mean, it's just. One of those kind of things. Real quick, when you were uh, Dallas, you worked with, or you worked uh, with uh, one of my best friends, uh, Rich Dalrymple. You know the uh, PR guy for the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah. He helped me build my patio in Upper Arlington way back when, our starter home, my wife and I. And uh, you know, he got his start at Otterbein, Otterbein College. Hey, really? Wow. He's been with Jerry Jones that. now for thirty something years, man. It that deserves a award unto itself, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Rich has been there forever. I mean, Rich yeah. is, yeah, Rich is sort of a legend in the PR world. It's, uh, and he's seen a lot of things now too. I mean, if he ever, if he ever wanted to write the tell-all book, I think he'd have some pretty good stories. I keep telling him that. Keep taking notes, man. He goes, no, no, no. But yeah. hey, hey, uh, Albert, I gotta go, man. But man, I really appreciate you coming on the Tim May podcast, brother. 
You got it, Tim. I was a, hey, like I said, and, and I'm, I, again, I mean this seriously. It's an honor to be on with you. What was it? Some like 20 years after I was a snot nosed kid there on the Ohio state beat. So I'm, I'm happy to come on whenever you want me. Dude, you've always been nice to me. I always, if you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. That's my, that's my uh, uh, mantra in life. And uh, by the way, you read that last part exactly the way I wrote it. I appreciate that. <laughs> I always hey, stick good, to the script. <laughs> have a good day, Albert. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks, Tim. I want to really thank Albert Beer for coming on uh, the Tim May podcast. Uh, you know, he and I have talked off and on for years. And like we talked about before, you know, you and I talked about before we went to the interview there, you know, you, he remembers that being at the Lantern, working with guys like me and, you know, people giving you pointers in life uh, uh, that can be invaluable. But then you got to go out and, and really you got to do the work yourself, man. You got to develop, you know, yeah. that that work ethic. And I think you're either born with a work ethic or you're not. You know, there are a lot of guys we've seen come and go in this business, right, Austin, who uh, just weren't really ready for the uh, – it's not 9 to 5. It's about, uh, what, about 7 a.m. to mm -hmm. 11 p.m. <clears throat> most days. When you've got to be ready to jump at a moment's notice and some people are cut out for that and most people aren't well i mean i just think back to the start of my career and it's not the same for everybody anymore but you know going into work desk shifts and uh take phone calls from you know high school games and lay out the paper itself you know pagination yep. uh, you know my when i got the wyoming football beat that was you know Six months, not not 365 days a year like Ohio State football, but you know, you, I covered Wyoming football when that season was over, when spring ball was over. I mean, I'm covering high schools and soccer games, and and then when you're when you're working those desk shifts, you're waiting till the last games are done on the West Coast to put the paper to bed. Um, yeah. So, I even reporting like what you're saying, you, your phone is always on, especially now that we have these in our pocket. Um, you know, 24 hours a day seven days a week, 365 days a year. But if you don't really love uh, the work and along with sports, you got to love them both uh, equally, in my opinion, to be good at it, you're not going to, to last very long. And you, you see the ones who, you know, like Albert, that, that make the most of it, that put, put everything they have into it. It's the only way, you know, yeah. I, and I know what I said earlier on in the show, like that can be true for all professions, but this is the one I know. And I, that's definitely true of this one. Yeah, and quality shows, man. That's why he has such a great following. Quality shows, the work he puts into it, and the, uh, you know, the talent he has <laughs> for that job, uh, <clears throat> knowing people all across the country and uh, scooping left and right, et cetera. It's, it's pretty interesting the way he's gone about it and uh, taking over for Peter King, you know, and like he, yeah. you know, I talked about in that podcast, you know, Peter King used to be sort of a compadre, but now Peter King is in essence, a competitor, you know, <laughs> so you have to put them on a different burner on the stove. But, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, I've also premised uh, uh, or prefaced with the fact that you and I were going to get into the uh, coaching carousel situation uh, after my conversation with Albert. And it's really interesting uh, bringing on Paul Rhodes in the capacity that uh, Ryan Day has, which, you know, I don't know if that's a first really for Ryan Day, but this is a guy who's a former head coach. I'm talking about in Paul Rhodes, uh, who has got quite pretty good reputation, you know, especially from, from defensive football, but football in general. And uh, now you're kind of throwing him in to the mix, you know, with this group of coaches. And just uh, how do you think that's going to go, Austin? Yeah, somebody asked me that the other day, Tim, like, 
Like, was this the first analyst? I mean, no, not really. Because, no, not really. Yeah, yeah the, the quality control people count as that. They just they never call them that. Uh, and I think officially that's what Paul Rhodes will be as well. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, these have been around, but this is a different path where Alabama is the one that's brought so much uh, of this to prominence with really hiring an army uh, of, of uh, behind-the-scenes assistants, but also guys with really high profiles, you know, a, a Butch Jones, a you know, Bill O'Brien, you know, I mean, Bill O'Brien's a full-time. Butch Jones, I guess, would be the most – uh, popular example, but Charlie Strong did that for Alabama as well. Yeah. Where they are did it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're talking about defense. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, just I'm just I was trying to think of just like some of the really high profile, like former head coaches doing this role, and and even Paul Rhodes doesn't necessarily, you know, move the needle the same way some of these guys that Nick Saban has brought in. But um, I think that this is a little bit of a for Ohio State anyway, a compromise between the two where Ryan Day prefers to you know, have younger guys, up-and-comers in the profession, people that he can uh, one day envision having a full-time role, you know, thinking of what just happened with Parker Fleming. Uh, Corey Dennis did that a year ago. You know, his yeah. situation would not be the exact same. But, you know, Keenan Bailey, uh, you know, that new coach down there in Jacksonville tried to hire him in, in the last few weeks. And Keenan Bailey elected to stay. Um not a lot of people are doing that. So the, the loyalty thing goes both ways, but that's the, that's the way that Ohio State had been trying to build their staff. This is a, you know, a unique way that they could try and fulfill that. When we talked about Greg Madison, you yeah. know, the veteran presence, the helping the other coaches, because he's not going to be working directly with players. He can't be out there, you know, out there on the practice field leading drills. This is more about a move for the coaches. And I think that it's interesting because, you know, you know, Anymore, you have to have it. Like, if Clemson and Alabama have it, you have to have it. Yeah, I'm just interested in, from a chemistry standpoint. Obviously, Greg, you know, it, it, it's it's almost like you're replacing Greg Madison, this, you know, you know, what do you want to call him? August coach. I mean, you know, uh, uh, maybe more of an October-esque coach. <laughs> but uh, you're replacing him and all the, all the wisdom and uh, experience he brought to, to the table as long, along with coaching. Uh, you're replacing him now uh, kind of like twofold. Uh, you're getting Paul Rhodes, who's been around the country, you know, and obviously was a head coach at Iowa State and actually did a pretty good job there, in my opinion. Iowa State's a tough, tough road to hoe. That's where Tom Herman was working for Paul Rhodes when Urban Meyer hired him as his offensive coordinator. But uh, this is a guy that's been around a lot of programs. And uh, so he kind of replaces that, maybe that experience factor to a certain extent that Greg Madison brought to bear in the defensive meetings. Uh, and yet you're still bringing up that young, you know, the, the young guy, you know, I mean, you're bringing up the young guy and bringing him, him along. I'm just wondering how the dynamics going to work in the meeting rooms, you know, is uh, Paul, just, is he going to be sitting in the corner going, yeah, you're right, Kerry. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, LJ or uh, coach Johnson, wherever he's going to call coach Johnson. Yeah. That's good. Bar. Or is he going to be going, know about that I don't know if I would do it that way you know what I mean I, you just kind of wonder how that kind of all works and how much uh, Ryan Day is going to keep an eye on that yeah and I think that what the goal here would be is that you want a fresh set of eyes that that maybe bring a new idea or two but it's also not somebody who is going to be overhauling the system you know one, yes. one question that was asked you know to me was like man no Paul Rhodes hasn't had 
very good defenses, you know, in the last couple of years. And uh, Iowa State, you know, petered off of the end. And, and like, okay, for one, he wasn't exactly working with the same personnel that Ohio State has. Uh, for two, that's not – he's not coming here to be the defensive coordinator or replace Kerry Combs. If he has a thing or two that might work in the secondary, uh, a tweak where they might need to, you know, if, if they've been weak against a certain part or, you know, they want to play more press coverage or, you know, whatever, cover three, cover, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that's not for me to decide. I'm not in that room. But, you know, if there's a different way to do, do it subtly, then that's what Paul Rhodes would be here for. They weren't, if they wanted to, if Ryan Day had given up on what he wants from that defense after two years, which, uh, you know, they were pretty, pretty damn good under Jeff Halfley there in 2019. Yeah. Number four in the country uh, in total defense. Um, you know, I don't think that he's you know, throwing everything out because of what happened last year. There were a lot of reasons to explain it, but there may still be a tweak or two that, that can be made. Um, so I guess the point is like in Ryan Day's conversations with Paul Rhodes, you know, do you believe that this is the right way to play defense? Are we on the right path with that? Do you agree? Do you, you think that this is the way it should be played in this era of college football? And then how can you help us make that, make that better? Yeah, exactly. How can you help, how basically, how can you help them teach it? You know, and, uh, and do you have, does it fit the personnel? I mean, that's the big deal uh, anymore. The, you know, Ryan Day talks about that. Urban Meyer talked about that. Will it fit to personnel? And, uh, Obviously, Ohio State is looking for some answers after finishing 122nd in the nation in pass defense. I mean, that's that's not a good stat, no matter how you, <laughs> no matter how you blanket it, and especially when you uh, put a an exclamation point on the end like that Alabama game. But uh, I keep reminding people that Alabama offense, you know, they're not gonna, they might see that once a year, you know, and uh, they saw it that one time and probably would like another shot at it, maybe get the change of things. That's what Albert Breer and I were talking about. He did a big piece on his Monday morning quarterback uh, uh, offering this week on Todd Bowles and the basically the way uh, Tampa Bay got after uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. and Kansas City in that wide open offense with just basic a, a basic approach you know and uh, and it did wonders and and that's what you know it's uh, keep it simple, stupid is the right way of going about things when you've got talented people. And that's, that was kind of like Todd Bowles, Todd Bowles approach. Just go out there and do your job is to, to paraphrase Bill Belichick. And yep. so we'll see, you know, like you pointed out many times, we're going to talk about this before spring opens too, if and when spring drills do open. Uh, but we're going to talk about a little bit more about the secondary, but just, you know, the, the attrition they dealt with last year from the secondary standpoint, not just on people who got kicked off the team, people who left early, and then people, but also people who got injured and weren't available at the end of the year. I mean, they were really robbing Peter to pay Paul. So there are a lot of reasons why that secondary had problems at the end of the year, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, people are probably tired of hearing it from me, but I think that it's worth putting that in context when, yeah, no one anywhere thinks that finishing number 122 in pass defense is a positive or acceptable. Yeah. You know, I'm not suggesting that it is, but. Uh, I, I think that it's easy to forget all the other issues that they were dealing with. And beyond that, you know, when you brought it up, Tim, like you're robbing Peter, like Marcus Williamson is not a safety. Well, somebody had to play safety and you don't, you don't get to sign a free agent off the street in college football. Correct. That's, that's not the way it works. Somebody had to go do it and they had to do it on short notice. And, you know, Marcus Williamson did a pretty good job about uh, of that, I think, because, 
he was playing a lot better at the end of the year than he was at the start. And that was also without the benefit of, you know, normal practices and, um, you know, yeah. one, one padded practice before the national title game and to try and get ready for that offense. Like that's just one week. And I know if people want to, you know, however you want to put, put that in context, go for it, but not having court Williams, not having Cameron Brown, both of those guys are the way that you can go into the big 10 title game and have no healthy safeties basically. Yeah. Three out and then Josh Proctor has to go do something different. You know, you know, if, if people want to be super critical of what happened in 2020 on defense, you know, there's nothing I can do to change their mind. Everyone has their own opinion about things, but you know, exactly. do I think that Ohio state played great pass defense last year? No. Do I understand what may, what may have caused that? I think that I do. Yeah. I do too. That's why we're going to spend uh, almost a full uh, <laughs> segment on it uh, before spring, because uh, you and I are going to figure out how to fix it. And then uh, maybe we'll get some analyst money. What do you think? Uh, well, we, you and I both have Kerry's number. We'll let him know that we're, we're available. Good point. Hey, real quick before we go, um, Al Washington Jr. Uh, he didn't snub his nose at Tennessee, but basically decided to, to stay at The Ohio State University. Yep. Were you surprised by that move by him? Yes and no. Uh, I know how you love it when I play both sides, but the, the amount of money, you know, that's why the decision took so long. He also, you know, my understanding is that Al Washington really was impressed by Josh Heupel and, and Tennessee's commitment to him. Uh, so those were things that made it hard because the, the raise that was offered to him was so significant. Yeah. Uh, you know, just life-changing amount of money. Uh, on the flip side, um, you're, you're, we talked about this before when he was weighing the decision a week ago. Like Tennessee right now, they're going to probably be a, you know, sanctioned because they investigated themselves, which in the SEC is – unheard of that should that should send off some you know flashing neon signs warning signs to tell you to stay house detective go ahead yeah well normally how about how about this way tim if an sec school investigates itself it's probably not going to find anything this yeah. was <laughs> this was done on purpose bacon nothing to see here yeah and found something so that information is now freely available to the ncaa they said we had to fire our coach because of this to save themselves some money. Okay, the NCAA, that's about the only way they can win a case anymore is if you make it for them. So that's going to happen. Um, this has been going on with uncertainty for their administration, dating back to when I worked there, which has been a long time now. But, I was going to say, man. Yeah, 15 years. Wait, let's remind people, you worked there. What, what years did you work in the uh, covering, working mightily to cover the Tennessee beat? Yeah, uh, so I was there on two occasions um, when I was a much younger man in 2006 and 2004. Then I was there full-time as the Tennessee beat reporter uh, for the Knoxville News Sentinel from 2009 to 2011. So um, Lane Kiffin's year, so the first year post-Fulmer where everything was truly getting insane because you had so many people, which then this continued for the next 12 years. Fulmer trying to fight to get his power back. People that were living in 1998 trying to restore him to power. Um, Lane Kiffin exacerbating things by leaving in the middle of the night after one year to go to USC and uh, leaving some wreckage and, and smoldering couches in the street outside the practice facility. Uh, yeah. Ru- rushing into a three-day hire of Derek Dooley. Uh, I think it's like 
you know, four athletic directors, six coaches. And, you know, it's been an absolute that has it's not going to stop just because of Danny White and Josh Heupel. In fact, um, to get way off track, I think Central Florida would have made this trade for Malzahn and any other AD, maybe. Um, I think they came out way ahead of Tennessee. But anyway, the point is that's also have all that craziness has to be considered by Al Washington as well. Ohio State is as solid a place as can be. It's his hometown. Um, He's still one of the highest paid assistant coaches in the country. Uh, He recruited all these linebackers that are here. Tennessee's got like 30 players in the portal. I don't even know how they're going to feel the team next year. So, you know, all this is part of it. And I think it, it was still hard just because the money was so significant. Yeah, agree. Uh, I don't, I mean, I'm just you got me look, way off. Usually, no, I don't. No, but I wanted to. I wanted. To, I want to give people some context. I mean, you know what you're talking about when it comes to the wacky, wacky, wacky world of Tennessee volunteer football anymore. You know, I mean, uh, 1998. I mean, you know, they they basically. I don't think they even interviewed T. Martin, if I'm not mistaken, right? I mean, uh, for this job, uh, that's interesting. I mean, they're really. They're really going all. It's kind of like hiring Derek Dooley all over again, a little bit, except Josh Heupel does have some cred. But like you said, he may have been getting out of town ahead of the posse, also. So, and Gus Malls on, you know, it's you know, wow, it's just the carousel never ends, right? Well, and Gus Malls on is a much better fit for Tennessee uh, to be. Yeah, honest. I think. I mean, he's obviously going to score a ton of points with UCF, but somebody with SEC experience, somebody who's been talked about. Um, you know, was he playing up to his potential at Auburn at the end? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's hard to beat Nick Saban and have to deal with him 365 days a year um, in that rivalry and in that league. Um, And also sometimes you just benefit from going somewhere else and trying something new after a while. We've seen that, you know, with, with Urban Meyer or the end of the Jim Trestle era. Sometimes it's just, sometimes a change does everybody good. Sure. Uh, Anyway, I, I'm not here to, to try and fix Tennessee by saying that Gus Malzahn should have gone there, but it's just all that, all that adds up. And also, yeah. like, Josh Heupel runs an up-tempo offense. So Al Washington's statistical defenses, if he was running them for the Vols, might not have been that impressive. They might not have helped him get the next job. Um, there's no guarantee with this depleted roster and the itchy trigger finger that Tennessee has had with coaches over the years that, that it would go beyond the three-year deal which is what he was being offered. So, you know, you yeah. sit down and everybody wants, like, as soon as you hear that an offer's out, everybody wants a decision anymore. Like, and it, it took longer than I thought it would, Tim, for him to decide. But, like, think about all that stuff that I just crammed into three minutes. Like, oh, yeah. That's, there's so much on his plate that he had to weigh. You talk about a, a salmon swimming upstream with a backpack on his back. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of the situation you're going into. You may be the mo- most prized salmon out there, but uh, it's still swimming upstream right now, man. And it's crazy. Uh, so real quick, not an yes or no, but give me succinct before we get out of here. Uh, do you think Ryan Day comes out ahead in this whole deal now? I mean, uh, what, what is your sense of the staff that he has uh, right now? Yeah. Do, do you, it looks like he feels extremely happy with the way things have worked out. Yeah, I think that, I, there were that decision was pretty significant for Ohio State, and I, I I say this where every linebackers coach in the country would have taken a number to get that job. They could have hired somebody else. Um, you know, they could have moved forward. There's no reason that Al Washington would make or break the program from a position coach standpoint. 
but he's the guy that they want to do it. They believe in him. Ryan Day's known him a long time. They prize that continuity. I mean, that's yeah. why Parker Fleming was promoted. That's that really did help determine everything that Al can handle the linebackers, that he's recruited at a high level, and that he knows the personnel. So he did need Ryan Day did need that to happen, and the rest I think he's got what he's wanted. And um, we talked about yeah. the Fleming thing before. Like, this is the staff he wants. He doesn't have to go into the middle of February and look for somebody else. This was a a, a good deal for Ryan Day. And I'll tell you what, him hiring C.J. Barnett to replace Ryan Stamper in that role, that's, that's, a, a, that's a win, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be disappointed if that's not a win. Ryan Stamper, you and I both know he's one of the great individuals we've ever known, but so is C.J. Barnett. And yeah. uh, coming from the what Columbus Police Force to uh, now join, and then basically, in, in essence, you know, he runs, you know, that, that guy runs the Real Life Wednesday programs. He runs all these things behind the scenes. Uh, we all know Ryan Stamper being famous for those post-practice uh, black stripes being pulled off things and all that stuff. But uh, C.J. Barnett, man, he is he is quite the competent fellow to put into that spot. I'm I, that was to me was a real win. I I would bet that if you asked Ryan Stamper when he was on the way out of the Woody exit interview, who should replace you? C.J. Barnett would have had to have been one of the first two or three, if not the first name that he he mentioned. Now, CJ yeah. has never been – like some of the stuff that Stamp is so good at that you talked about, the way that people recognize him, the black stripe, that, that really helped shine a light on – brought him, you know, into the spotlight. Um, that's not necessarily CJ Barnett's strength. He may need to work on that. But Ryan Stanford didn't – you know, was never doing it in the first place to, like, make a name for himself or get the attention. Just kind, oh, of, yeah. just kind of became the tradition. So we'll see if that, if that sticks and if that becomes the role for CJ Barnett moving forward. All the other stuff, though – you know, community outreach, real life Wednesdays, you know, uh, dealing with uh, police officers and, and making sure that you know, everybody's being fine, upstanding citizens. Wait, wait, being unafraid, being unafraid or unfettered about getting into a player's face, you oh, know, when they've yeah. done wrong or maybe doing wrong, et cetera. Go ahead, though. I wanted to throw that in there, too. That's as important a piece of that job as anything else. Well, that's the other part of it. You can't, you're not going to go like, uh, bs ryan stamper uh yeah <laughs> that's not gonna work and that's now cj barnett and become you know the stuff that he did obviously he was a fiery leader captain uh, at the end of his career that part would never phase him but now he's also seen a bunch of other stuff that makes you mature and makes you not really scared of almost anything that you can encounter you're you're not going to go in there and like you know try and pull a fast one on cj barnett either that's yeah that's another big part of this. Like, I love that C.J. Barnett stare, you know, and it's, you know, <laughs> it's not like, it's like just like looking right through you like, yeah, right, buddy. It's I serious. mean, uh, yep. yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, that's interesting. We'll, you know, we're going to come back in the next couple of weeks. We're going to start looking into the spring and what, what the big battles are. We know the number one battle that everybody's curious about. That's starting running back right now. I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, I am writing a story finally for us on that, just how that, how that may go down, et cetera. And it's really, really interesting because there's a corral. <laughs> there's a corral of wannabes there, man, who want to come out of that gate as fast as possible uh, this spring if, in fact, they get to have a spring. And that's what's going to make it as interesting as anything else. But, yeah, we're going to talk about the quarterback situation. We're going to talk about what they're going to do in the middle of that offensive line mm -hmm. with uh, the people they've got to replace from a, where they're going to end up, et cetera. And uh, it promises to be an interesting spring without a doubt, right? Can't wait. Hope we get. Yeah. I know we won't really get to see any of it, but just yeah. to talk about it, 
and maybe get some feedback. I, I'm, I'm as ready for it as ever. I, just let's get back to some normal-ish football. Well, sometimes, you know, nobody was riding with Lindbergh when he flew across the Atlantic. You kind of had to take his word for all the things he went through, but it's still interesting and compelling. So uh, that's what this spring is going to be kind of like for Ohio State, man. They're big shoes to fill on both sides of the ball. But you know what? Until next week, this is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. As usual, I want to thank my buddy, Awesome. You know him as Austin Ward coming on. And, of course, my good friend Albert Breer from the Monday Morning Quarterback fame. Uh, keep reading his stuff, man. He always is in-depth and his – his analysis of the Tampa Bay defense and how they got after Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City is worth is worth the read. But until next week, this is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. We'll see you then. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.